How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Danielle Spencer to the Inside the Eight podcast with me and Colleen McGarity. Danielle is the head lacrosse coach at Stanford, and we're really fired up to have you on, Danielle. How are you doing? Doing excellent. Thanks. I'm fired up to be here, too. Cool. All right. Kick us off there, Colleen. Okay. What do I want to start with? Uh, I'll start with offense. That's more of your, like, expertise. And then I usually am the one to ask a little bit more cultural questions, but... um. I'll kind of just hop right into how is it going this year at Stanford for you guys? Obviously had an abrupt ending, um, but what was your offense like on what were your main uh, focus points with your girls, with your, you know, type of talent you had this year? We, it was great. Uh, I mean, you know, starting over again, coaching a new team is fun in different ways and, very challenging in other ways, um, but I feel very grateful that the girls at Stanford um, welcomed me in and, you know, trusted me right away and really bought into the process. Um, and I, I got pretty excited this year, and I'm definitely excited looking forward. We've got some different types of, of players that can do different things for us. We've got... Um, we have a freshman this year, Jay Brown, and then we've got two coming in next year that are just really dynamic around the crease, like just the range that they have with their stick. And they just, they, it's, you know, Jay, like we tried to create an offense this year um, where we gave people room to like operate in their strengths. So we tried to, even though she was only a freshman, um, let her really work the crease a bit. And we have, um, we had a counterpart that pretty much could catch anything. Um, so we let them operate together um, down around the goal line a lot and um, had some fun with that. And then we've got two freshmen coming in who, I was, the wheels were turning last night actually watching Jamie's presentation um, especially with some of those like razor picks, Jamie, just thinking about some of the girls of what we can do around goal line. Um, so we had some fun with that. And that was a little bit, I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't a crease attacker, which you know, in college. And so I've, that's been a fun growth area for me as a coach is like really trying to expand my IQ about, um, you know, crease offense. And then and then we had a couple girls who their game is just like speed. Um, and we just put them up top and you have to slide. Like if you don't, they're, you know, and so we, that we got pretty good at working for them off ball and putting them in position to just do their thing, attack the goal. Um, and they got plenty of one V ones, but they were really offensive catalysts for us because they just kind of immediately drew slides. So, um, we had, uh, and we had balance too. Like we had Jay around the crease and um, we've got a, a, a righty, just speedy, speedy dodger and a lefty speedy dodger. So I was excited. Like we were still putting all the pieces together um, and finally starting to, you know, build some like momentum and some identity on the attack. And then it all came to a halt, but all those players are returning plus two freshmen coming in that are going to be, you know, making an impact right away. Um, so, you know, and, and I, I would say that our offense was, um, it, it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't, it wasn't just ISOs. It wasn't just two man. It wasn't completely top heavy. It wasn't crease heavy. I was excited that we had some different, different types of weapons. Um, and one of the growth areas for us is just continuing to build our inside game. Like we had one girl that was, she literally could just catch anything inside. Um, and then we have all these girls that can draw slides. And so that's an area for us that I want to build out next year is um, like just getting some more girls who can catch anything inside. And I think we have to take some more, there's drills for that, but we also have to take some more risks in the fall. And I have to kind of be patient with that process of like letting, letting people feed each other and understanding that it might not look good for a while. Um, so anyways, those are my initial thoughts.
I'm John Canaris, founder of Oxia Time, a watch company specializing in university branded watches. Before I fell in love with watches, I fell in love with lacrosse. Maybe you've heard of the Air Gate? Well, that was me in goal that day. We may not have won the national championship, but we did win the Ivy League that year and two years before. The first time, we got a ring that we never wore. The second time, we got a watch that while it had great sentimental value, the quality didn't match the significance of our achievements or the memories we created. Ever since then, I've looked for a watch with the design and quality that would live up to my experiences at Penn. After 30 years of looking and not finding what I wanted, I decided to build it myself. At Axia Time, we create Swiss-made automatic watches with stylish designs and quality befitting the universities we represent. Premium watches without the premium price. Check us out at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. Well, you have a lot of great points there. So <laughs> first, um, I have, Jamie, just to prep you, I have three questions and then you can take your turn. Um, so I'm going to go with, first, obviously the new team for you, yeah. right? You yeah. know, you're coming back to Stanford. What was one of the main things, like you said, before you got into your offense, because you mentioned building that trust and getting them to trust you to like, you know, obviously you're an amazing player. So what was one thing that you helped build that trust or that like type of culture? You know, was there a breaking point where like you saw it happen or was there something that you did that you think helped? Sure. Uh, I love X's and O's, but my favorite part of coaching uh, is actually that kind of building the team culture piece and, you know, building cohesion and trust and belief in the team. And so we did a lot of like, um, you know, kind of, we embraced the idea that corny is cool. Like we did a lot of kind of corny, cheesy stuff with the team. Like we did show and tell and we would do like every day at the beginning of practice, I would have players stand up in front of their teammates and share different things about their life. Like that I would ask questions with. We did a lot of kind of team bonding that had nothing to do with lacrosse. Um, and I participated in all that with my assistants. So I think that they were, um, and that was the biggest focus of the fall. You know, we we're tr trying to build out a style of play, but even more importantly was like, I was trying to get to know the players and um, create a very safe atmosphere where they felt like, um, they could be themselves in front of their teammates and be themselves in front of the coaching staff and create little like platforms and exercises where they had to kind of talk and share and get out of their comfort zones with their teammates. So um, that's been something fun for me over the last couple of years that I had to learn pretty quickly at my first head coaching job is like, you know, it doesn't just, you can't just focus on X's and O's and just, ignore everything else like you know these are college girls like they you know you need to if you want to be really good like they um we need to build out that trust um in each other and so and that comes from getting uncomfortable and getting a little bit vulnerable and kind of um you know and for them like their lives are they're so busy out. These are Stanford girls. Like they're so busy outside of lacrosse and it's not that they don't have socialized by any means they do, but they're, they're in class a lot and they're doing homework a lot and they don't, you know, I kind of realized that I can't just expect that they're building these amazing friendships out off lacrosse and solely focus on lacrosse at practice. Like I had to be a part of helping them get closer to their teammates, like above the surface level kind of traditional college stuff. You go out with your friends and then you make friends, like actually building deeper relationships. I, I continue to feel like that'll be important for us to get, to get better at a faster rate than our opponents. Like that's my goal is everyone's trying to get better and I just want to do it at a faster rate. So focusing on the team trust building um, was my number one priority the fall. And it still is. It's still top of mind. That's awesome. And I think one key component that you talked about is you participated in the vulnerability. Yeah. Uncomfortableness. So it allowed you to connect, which then leads you to be on the field, having this different type of relationship. And when you're out there with them, I'm sure you are a great example for them to watch the demos and you can do it all. So that also helps, I think with that coach player 
relationship that we used to have as well with Kelly. We could see yeah. it, you know, yeah. which is huge. Um, what are some of your main drills as you went on to your kind of offense that you said you focused on more crease play and now the big thing for you was building inside game and drawing the slide. What are two big drills that you like to do um, with your practices to incorporate those two, two types of fundamentals that you're focusing on? We did a ton of, we tried to every practice alternate between man even and man up drills and just constantly reminding them that you have to draw the slide and then you have to have the, you know, fast, um, efficient ball movement. So we tried to not do too much of, of one or the other. Um, so we were constantly hitting every day, either one V ones or two V twos or both. And then always some type of four V three, five V four. We didn't do a ton of like three V two, unless it was super small sided. Um, we did a, a lot of 4v3 and 5v4, different, different types of drills. And then, and then sometimes for the defense and the offense, some even drills where the defense had to slide. Um, so just kind of forcing the issue. Um, that was a big focus for us is like getting my players to understand um, the way that you move and work together in order to get the defense to slide and then the way that it sh then the way you work together and move differently once they do slide and like getting them to understand those differences and kind of like slowing down the, the play a little bit so that everyone has time to like work within their roles and like create some offense and then forcing that forcing the defense to do something and then speeding it up with the ball movement from there and so um we were, that's, that was a big, like every day kind of, it was like, all right, what are we hitting that's man even? What are we hitting that's man up for our offense? Um, that's great because I think that a lot of the times, like you drawing the slide is the offense. So it's yeah. like, yeah, what do you, how are you going to handle it? Which is huge to create the play. Yeah. Where a lot of people like don't set up the slide coming and that's not really realistic with good defensive teams. Yeah. Yeah, and just getting them to, um, like, in order to build out our, um, you know, that inside game, which we were still getting to, and, and, like, I felt like a lot of 1v1s were really good for us, not just because that was all we did offensively, because I did feel like we started to have some, um, do some different things, but I still just think that 1v1s, like, it just, it's stick protection, it's stick skills, you, and we were trying to get them to, like, everyone to be dodging with their head up, and, you know, then we build it out with the, you know, additional players, and then if you've done a ton of 1v1s, then you should be able to be confident, like, really just looking past your own defender, you know, like, really trying to get my players, I would tell them, like, great attackers aren't, don't even look at their defender, like, they're looking at the adjacent defenders, they're reading the defense, and so, I felt like in order to get our players to that level, we had to just put them in the pressure cooker with like, we can't just only do man up drills because then they are never feeling that type of contact and that type of pressure. So we always made sure that we're hitting something that's high pressure where you have a defender all in your face and all over your hands. And the players that were able to rise to that occasion could handle that, protect their stick and keep their head up like while they're dodging and really trying to get my girls to dodge with their head up. Um, Cause we didn't, I didn't want to just be one dimensional where we just had some speedsters that could break ankles. But then as soon as the defense slides, like we, it was like over because they were just dodging with their head down tunnel vision. We wanted to get them to be like, start to get to the point where they're dummy dodging, you know, and they can read the defense and they can feel the contact and handle it and be able to slow down. Um, so for me, I felt like a lot of that was just came straight out of 1v1s and 2v2s. Like, not necessarily saying that this is the way we're going to play offense always, but just it's stick protection, it's, it's, um, uh, it's shooting. Like, we got rid of just shooting on an empty goal. There's, you, never, you never get that in a game. Like, you always have a goalie and someone on your hands. And so um, we, 
you know, that's, I felt like even a 1v1 is, it's, uh, it's more efficient for our shooting percentage. Cause like you have someone on your hands, you have a goalie in the cage, like it's, it's going to make us better. And we, we're still working on that shooting percentage, but we'll get there. You'll never stop. You said a lot of key things that I'm sure Jamie is chomping at the bit to ask follow up questions. So go ahead, James. Totally. Um, well, I love just listening to your philosophies on, on how to develop your players and how you're using the differences between all even and uneven situations. Um, I agree. I think, I think unevens are great, but, but at the same time, you have to be able to create that uneven by being all even and being able to beat somebody. Um, I always talk about a concept in dodging and one-on-ones of getting back to the line. So if you can imagine like a straight line from you through your defender to the middle of the field in front of the top of the crease, you know, in order to be an effective dodger, somehow you got to be able to get back to that line after you beat your man. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that concept and then see if you use it, or I'm sure you do, but then you maybe use a different terminology or other, other ways of thinking about it. But as far as turning corners, physicality, uh, redodges, um, hesitations, and all the things that go into being a great dodger means you're getting back to that line. And I don't think it matters necessarily how fast you do it. It matters that you do it. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that concept. <clears throat> I haven't used that phrase specifically I know what you're talking about getting back to that line we did talk a lot about um like bouncing off the contact and re-dodging and those hesitations to separate your to get your hands free um because I we were trying to work on having those them dodge with their head up and then be able to like the great deep like we saw a mix in comp in our conference we were planning to see a ton of zone but then out of conference I felt like we we're going to see a lot of man with yeah. pretty stingy like you got to really make them work to slide and then they're going to slide mm -hmm. and recover quickly. So I wanted us to be able to, you know, either um, capitalize quickly or as soon as that slide comes, like not be maneuvering with our stick forever to get rid of the ball, to be able to like read it and, and dish it out, you know, quickly. Um, so we, so the, uh, like the one V ones, were helpful because we did different things where like what we did to kind of for your point is for their getting their hands free and figuring out how they have to like separate redodge hesitate is we would do no schemes where the defender would start right on yeah um so instead of having the traditional like the defender has you know off an approach or the attacker starts with the ball and she's just going to back out to the restraining line and dodge 100 miles per hour like that's great because um, mm -hmm. we that'll definitely draw a slide, but that's not going to make you better at getting um, uncomfortable with defensive pressure. So we did a lot of no schemes where um, the your back is to the goal, you're holding the ball, defenders right on you, tweet, and then you have to figure out you don't have your speed anymore because the defender's right on you, and you have to figure out how to separate. And that's where they had we built out that um, understanding of hesitations and separation and kind of um different types of like in tight rocker step dodges instead of just the big heavy you know full speed dodges um and you could see you know the players that stick skill related like the players that were able to have their stick separated from their body and be comfortable taking that pressure and the ones that were their stick was so close to their body that any type of jam like immediately the ball's out or their head goes down and then they're not a good teammate. Um, so a little bit of, you know, not, we didn't necessarily talk about getting back on that line, but we did try to put them in situations where you can't use your speed. Right. I love it. The uh, tight one-on-ones. What did you call it? No steams. No steams. Yeah. So no, no steam, no, uh, Oh, no head of steam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the defender starts right on you and you wait for the whistle. Right. Right. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I love that. I've been, um, thinking a lot about that in terms of getting back to the line, uh, the bounces and redodges and hesitations. And, and the reason why I sort of talk about that is it's not that you have to get back to the line. It's just that if you're not turning corners, 
whether you're getting ahead of steam or no steam, you, if you're going to score a one-on-one -on -one goal, you need angle. Yeah. And, and so no matter whether you're starting right on, uh, on the elbow or on the arm, you know, in a posted up to back to your defender, no steam, or whether you're taking a run, the, the best players are basically getting back to that line because that line is what provides them angle. But, but the bounces and the, and the redodges are critical because sometimes you're just jammed. And the only way to give yourself an angle to get back to the line is to pop away and then re-attack that line or use a hesitation as they're bodying you up. Um, so the way you're teaching it is, is really, we're, we're talking about the same thing with just um, different terminologies. Yeah. Um, but um, I love those no steams. And I think those types of one-on-ones are incredibly valuable. And, it, and, and in fact, I think there are many, way, many ways harder to guard because they're harder to slide to. Because you can't really, I mean, you're doing, if you got your best player at no steams is probably your hardest player to slide to. Mm -hmm. Because they can't see it coming until it's too late. Whereas on a head of steam, everybody can see it coming from, you know, eight yards away. Yeah. Yeah, really cool stuff. Colleen? Yeah, I wanted to kind of get into um, now defensively a little bit as well. Like, talked about mm -hmm. zones and man zones in conference, man's out of conference. What was your guys' style, both mainly man-to-man, -man, fundamentally, or, you know, did you move into zone because that's what your conference mainly played? So we, at Dartmouth, when I was there for those three years, we had a lot of success with zone. And then when I knew I was going to Stanford, uh, me and Nicole, my defensive assistant, we went back and forth a lot, like, you know, obviously you got to be prepared for anything, but I do believe that to be a great team, like you can't just try to be great at everything. It's not, no one has the time for that. It's not going to work. Um, like you have to pick a couple things, choose your identity and then just drill down. And like, just, I'd rather be great at a couple things and try to be good at a lot of things. And so we, we kind of knew that like, we're going to obviously have a backup defense and in terms of scouting purposes, like we needed to have a man and a zone, but we were like, we are, we don't need to pick one though, that we want to be our bread and butter and not go into the season with shaky confidence as to, you know, sw constantly switching the defense. And we decided to stick, go with man. Um, one of the things that is always um, not a, a, like in terms of practice planning, when you run a zone is after a while, it, there's, there's position specific, right? Like you have certain girls who play certain roles in the zone. Um, and, and it's very different for our game with shooting space and certain areas of the eight meter where like you don't just, it's not that after, as you get into it, like you need certain players that are really good around the elbow, certain players who are really good around the crease, like, someone inside who's covering cutters and one of the issues that we realized when we were running zone at Dartmouth is that it sometimes took away from like um like within our practice plan you unless you're doing sevens um it just made it difficult that every time we had to like just pigeonhole players into certain positions and I felt like it limited our overall like individual defenders development at just being, they just got good at really good at certain areas in the zone D. Um, and then, so anyways, where, what I like about playing man is that it just works for every single drill you do. Like it's relevant for every, every drill you do, it's relevant for that. Where if you're, you know, really committing to a full zone defense, like not every drill is relevant for that player um that defender depending on kind of where they are where you put them positionally and it really impacts the way you sub um it really it impacts your ride and your clear um because in your ride at some point you know you're breaking your ride to get into your zone spots and in your clear a lot of times it affects like you're having certain pe it makes a lot of sense to clear out from your zone um and it just it it put a lot of like hindrance on the way that I wanted to be able to sub the way that I wanted to to clear and ride um and the way that we wanted to run our practices so we were like let's go man um which was fun for us and we 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 really took pride and and our defenders took pride in 
Um, we want to get to the point where we can match up with some big heavy hitter offenses. And, you know, we know that we're going to have to slide, but um, it doesn't have to be an immediate ejection slide. Like we have good enough on ball defense where we can really um, make smart strategic slides and um, like really, really jam up cutters off ball, um, really get good contact and get in people's hands. Um, so we, we started to have fun with it. Like I was, I was excited to see where our defense was going to end up. Um, and we only won, you know, only once this season did we decide not to play man. And even that I kind of regret it. Like, I just think I kind of learned the hard way that just not to be wishy-washy as a coach and just like try and stick with something and trust your team and let it, let it develop and let the players like grow within it. Um, so anyways, we, we went man and we're sticking with that for now. Obviously we had, you know, backup options prepared and we did do one thing differently in one of our games, but um, I am trusting in our ability to sit and marinate in a man defense for a while and then let it get really good. And for me to just allow it to get really good without immediately one game thinking, Oh, it's, we got to flip it, you know? I mean, it's a good place to sit and marinate. I love a good man, man defense. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I like my, de my defense, but um, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, and is it like full pressure, like all it's, out? Or uh, ish. We, we, we had the pressure way out in the fall because I felt like it built the, our fitness for our defenders. Yeah, for sure. We were just like, just get out there, get beat. Like we, it made everyone have to slide and um, it just exposed bigger holes in the defense. So in the fall, we just kind of just pressured out everywhere. And then in the spring, we started to rein it in a little bit more. Um, but we were still getting out to the 12. We still played everyone behind. Yeah. Off ball. If our girl went behind off ball, we went with them back there and we tried to just um, suck the wind out, or out of offenses a little bit by, um, you know, not having any, like, not easily letting the ball travel through X. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. not easily letting people kind of cut through. And um, so it was fun, you know, like, I don't want to constantly change every year, but it is fun as a coach to do some different things. Um, and I, mean, I was I ready. The hardest physically, you know what I mean? You're going all the way out. So it's a great way to start. And you can always reel them back in. So I think that's a good way to approach it do the hardest all out especially in the fall and then you can always tweak it and do less which you already got them to do the hardest part and the biggest thing with man-to-man -man defense which we've talked a lot about this is like being okay with getting beat you obviously don't want to get beat yeah. but then if you don't put your head down your teammates got your back you got a great back check so it's just like you know just as you're recovering you know you're you're coming up you can get the back check and then you run to the backside or an interception on the backside. so I just think that's awesome and really good just for the physical fitness of the defenders too it gets them like I don't know I think when you play all out as a defender it gets that like pre-game or game jitters out of you yeah Same thing with like you know a fast break type of goal or a big ground ball where yeah. you get that like type of momentum it helps like rather than sitting back on your heels or waiting yeah yeah I'm excited and I think one of the goals of mine heading into the fall we're gonna have a huge roster just because the team already had a big roster and then we've got a bunch of seniors that are going to stay with the NCAA eligibility rules. So I, I am working on trying to build a style of play that will allow us to get more people involved through the box um, with different D middies and A middies. And um, we didn't do that as much as I, you know, maybe would have liked this year. We kind of had our group out there, which was, there's a lot to be said about that. Um, but there's, you know, and I think that defensively that might allow for some pressure um, and some, some players feeling really confident, um, you know, because we're not always going to have the same seven kids out there. But, you know, if, I, if we do what I want to do in the fall and get um, a larger group of people playing out there, then that would allow us to play um, a, a different style of play where we can um, – you know, pressure more on defense, maybe, maybe not immediately recover, but stay in the slide and double the ball. And knowing that we're going to be subbing, I think we're going to, looking ahead to the team that I have returning, 
Um, we're not graduating anyone. And so we, we don't just have 12 good players. Like we have 20 something really good players that now it's on me and my staff to find a way to get them all involved. Um, and I do think that a man style will allow them all to get involved a little bit easier because there's less niche roles that you play. Sure. Yeah. You kind of, kind of chimed into my next question was, what do you do in the midfield transitionally? Do you run two or three even lines, A many, D medies? Like what's your philosophy? It seems like you're just trying to, those that are playing well, get them on the field or figure it out how to play them. Yeah. This year we had, and we have, they're all returning, but we've got some midfield horses that is a testament to the previous coaching staff. Cause I didn't recruit them. Is Michaela um, Watson a senior? Yeah. But she's coming back. She's we've awesome. got some just horses that, it just, it was a lot of fun. And then we had a goalie that, um, who's also returning, who could really launch it. So we had, um, I love slow break. I love slow break. Um, and we had a lot of fun with just um, fast break into slow break into settled offense and never, never stop, um, never stop and stand. And we had middies that allowed us where we really didn't need to run any a midi d middies because we just had horses that were super fit and they could just and that allowed us to have a different style of ride and clear but the and they're all returning but next year we have um we return our entire offense and we've got a couple stud freshman attackers coming in that I think that I've got some different things in mind for, I think we'll have more reason to run a middies, D middies, like at least one, maybe two on a line, um, which will allow us to get some certain players consistently in the attacking end that I think can get us, um, um, develop even more of a certain style of play down in the offensive end so um this year we were just running three straight middies you know and kind of subbing them as they needed and then next year it's probably going to be pretty different nice yeah that's awesome jamie do you have anything on that uh no sounds sounds great um it's nice to have depth (laughs) yeah Uh, um, I wanted to ask you about two-man game. You said you're checking out that webinar on, on hang-up two-man, and I, I wanted you to speak to it on, on both sides of the ball. Like, basically, what are your philosophies on running two-man games uh, offensively, but also, like, how do you like to defend it since you guys are playing man-to-man? You know, um, is it double? Is it fight over, switch if you have to, get under, yeah. switch everything, change it up? So, offensively, um, I'm – you know, the more I, the more I practice teaching it, the more comfortable that I get, you know, any coach, you you know, you have to learn how to teach something well to have confidence in drilling it and then let your players have confidence in it. So I think the more that I learn about it for you and through the other programs that are running it really well nationally, like, especially in the women's game, just being able to watch and learn helps me, um, have more, I think a lot of coaches, they just want to, I mean, you, you said it last night in the webinar, like you just want to run, you know, two man game, but it's not, you know, there's some pieces to it that can make it really dynamic if you know kind of how to teach it to your players. And so um, I'm feeling more and more confident in that and um, finding ways to incorporate it into our offense. We haven't fully gone to the side of like where that is fully the identity of our offense but more than ever this year um we were intentional about using it especially for a couple certain players um and then i do have a lot i do want to use it um a lot more next year especially around goal line um and defensively, we tried some different things. I mean, we face Northwestern and Arizona State, and you just – that forces the issue real quick. Like, how the heck are you going to defend it? Um, we tried some different things. I, I think what we came to is um, what you mentioned, actually. I think you said Jerry Burns, similar style. Like, yeah. we were just like, you just got to play your girl r- really well 
and try to get maintain that contact. And then if if you have to switch, you switch. Um, and we just had to drill it and drill it and drill it. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> I always thought that was like the best model, and it still may be. But then when I learned the whole concept of invite them over the top, I know kind of throws that out the window. <laughs> I know, I know, and it's just I mean you you talk about even like preparing for Northwestern, it's like I would watch teams that would just decided to just switch on everything and they're just switching, switching, switching. And then all of a sudden you're backed up and then Izzy Skane or Selena Lasota is going to rip a shot because they're at the six. Like yeah. you can't, you know, um, it's hard. It, it is hard. So you do have to push out. Yeah. So we, we um, started and I do think that that's where, you know, like if we can get that pressure and create and force the attack to kind of have layers and not let two attackers get close next to each other and force them to constantly be trying to have to reset the pick because we're just maintaining that pressure. Um, we do, we also do have the, the shot clock. So, um, it, yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is we, in order for us to defend it well, we have to start incorporating it into our offense. Yeah. I just... Oh. In men's across, they go under picks so often. We don't see it as much in women's across. Do you think we'll see that more often, or do you? And I've always wondered on this on the same topic is if somebody went under a pick and I I had the ball, and I just stopped. At what point is that three seconds? Because they're in the if, if the pick's at the eight and the defender goes under the pick and there's a defender on the picker, and then you're under that defender and then I don't run meet you on the other side and I let you sit in the eight. Is that three seconds? Yeah, we got called for it against Arizona State. They they did it really well. And that's where we real that's where we were talking to our players like you can't just keep backing up because then yeah. you're going to be in the 8 and a great right. shooter can shoot it or you're just going to be sitting in 3 seconds. And so yeah. it was like just being able to um you know, try and get our hands on them and and um early so that we couldn't get backed up into that hang up yeah um and then being just being super efficient at kind of knowing uh you know that we're might have to send the slide you know um but like any offense you know just being able to read off ball defenders being able to read the situation and see that they're sliding and that they're probably going to slide to um the slip yeah so um it's a challenge for sure. We, I kind of have learned the hard way, like that we can't just be, you know, I can't just tell my defenders, Oh, you switch on everything. You're, we never switch. Like that's yeah. not realistic. And I learned that through playing these other offenses and just through watching more of it. Like you have to be able to read the situation. So we took the strategy of like, we don't want to switch if we don't have to, we want to get, we want to get our hands on um, these players and make it difficult for them to, you know, be setting those picks for each other um but if we have if we get picked off we have to switch and then immediately we're, we're dropping trying to drop under you know the slip yeah cool i love that like that you said you have to read the situation i i get so many questions sometimes from especially high school high school girls should we switch or should we stay i'm like i don't want you to switch but sometimes you might have to because yeah. then you get the one kid that's like well you told us not to switch i'm like you have to read the situation like Yes, I know that, like I said, don't switch, but then you had to. So it's like, you can't put that, like, you have to do this or, and, or don't do that. Because sometimes you get beat, you know, or you just need to make that last minute call or, or it might be easier. So I think getting your defenders to have that, that same IQ that you have on the offensive end is huge. Like, I think just sometimes defenders get very stuck. Like, I have to do it this way. Like, and I, or if not, it's wrong. I'm like, not necessarily like you know they want you to wear you down and make you switch switch I mean not switch not switch not switch and then if you kind of surprise them too it's and you know kind of jump them that way yeah you know what I've been thinking about too it's interesting about this whole uh, pressure is I feel like sometimes it's an advantage for the defense to put pressure on because the offense really has to kind of set a hard pick and then you run the risk of blind pick calls right yeah. as an offense but um I think the invite them over the top uh, mitigates that issue for the offense because you don't you're not really running them into the pit 
well, and over. And so therefore there's not going to be a blind pick because they're not, there's not going to be much, if any contact, but you're still going to get the benefits of it, which I was curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah. And I think there's certain players that, you know, um, like, a like, a Lauren Gilbert for Northwestern, like, yeah, sure. We're going to go try out, try and pressure her out, you know, to kind of, uh, make it difficult for them to run the two-man game, but then you're just going further and further yeah. out against someone who's one of the fastest girls in the country, and right. she's just setting up her dodge, you know. Yeah. So it's it's like it's a um, sword for sure. Yeah, just in some of those times where you can invite them over, it just you're inviting them over. You're you're pulling that defender out, and then you're all you're doing is making that slide even longer, you know. So um, it's tough. Like there's no, I've yet to see one. And I've watched a lot of film on it. I've yet to see one perfect way to defend it. Um, I think like with anything, you just have to have great team defense. Um, For sure. So. Honestly, there might not be a perfect way to defend it. I mean, basketball, you still can't really defend a pick and roll if you do it correctly. Uh, like, it's, yeah. it's, like, you can't. It's just pretty hard to do it. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Every time, you know, you might get it one time, but it's never going to be perfect. Um, Daniel, I wanted to ask a couple of questions, just being mindful of time too, like just about the draw, obviously it was one of your specialties. Um, what's it going on? Like, like at Stanford right now, do you have an amazing draw person? Do you have a draw group that you have a couple of good players that are great? Um, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the draw group at Northwestern <laughs> with you for a short period. Um, one of my, you know, greatest times, not sure why I was in it, but very thankful. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I love the draw. I love teaching it. Um, I've been very fortunate to, you know, learn from Kelly, then have a ton of success with that at Northwestern, and then teach Alyssa and Shelby, and then went on to Dartmouth where Catherine, you know, taught Catherine Giroux, and she now holds the Ivy League record. And then at Stanford, they already had a strong draw taker, Genesis Lucero. And then this year, we got her to set the new Stanford record. Um, so I love. You have a yeah, three there with the draw. <laughs> I love it, and it's fun for me as a head coach to still have a little niche to myself. Like I don't, you know, that's one of the fun things about being an assistant is you can really focus on just the offense or the defense or recruiting or, um, and but as a head head coach, you can't do that. But so I still keep the draw um, as my little niche that I get to work individually with players, um, and it's getting tougher and tougher, like just with the sticks that are on the market now. And, um, it's, you know, it's, there's very few players now across the country who can just pop, you know, 15 draws a game to themselves. Like it's just, there's, um, it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, and I've had a lot more fun now, the more I've coached it, um, the draw unit kind of, seeing what different teams do on the circle and seeing great circle players too, and seeing what they do. And that's been a, an area of mine that I'm trying to grow is like not just teaching my draw taker, but treat, teaching my circle girls, like how they can be really good yeah. too. like different, different ways to box out, different ways to roll off your girl, um, creating fast breaks off the draw. Um, so well, yeah, we're lucky. We've got we've got a good draw taker at Stanford, and knock on wood, she's come back. So I would love to pick your brain on that. Like the circle stuff is huge. Just the anticipation of boxing out and like how to properly time it up. Sometimes I'm like, how the heck are you not boxing out? Like at that timing, right? Your timing's like half a second off, and like you practice it so much, and it's just such an athletic concept that you really need to focus on, like who is up on the circle it, it can make or break the draw person putting it perfectly where it's supposed to be yeah and you have to pick a side you know so one of the things that I really started to have fun thinking about is like the entire circle itself and each player kind of their they own a certain space um so like kind of the traditional model is like you always box out for where you think the ball's going to go but we kind of have been now I've been thinking a little bit more about boxing out to be, be the person that if the ball goes into this space, we've, you know, if the ball goes here, this girl on my team, she's commanding that space. If the ball goes here, this girl's commanding that space. And if the ball goes here, the draw taker's commanding that space. So 
just having fun with different strategies of the way you can play it. Like there's so many different things that you can do with your, your three people now kind of working together as a unit. Um, and when I first started teaching it, the circle girls, like in my mind, their only job was to just like box out for their draw taker. And now I don't believe that anymore. All right. Nice. I like that. James, do you have any more questions on that before we ask one more? Um, no, go for it. Just wanted to kind of touch base on recruiting for our last question. Obviously there's a lot of panicking who's <sighs> out there. What's a little bit of like, you know, advice or what they can be doing right now. Um, just to get ready for, you know, if summer tournaments happen, if they don't, what's your advice? Um, I think a little bit of tough love is that like, to be honest, I just think that the great players find a way to have consistent habits. I really do. Like, I just think that um, if you want to be great and you can't remember the last time you touched your stick, like you're kidding yourself. I really, you know, and it's the same thing with my own team. Like, you know, if you want to be a great athlete, you can't just do one hard workout a week and feel good about yourself. Like it's really, for me, it's about, the, it's about consistency. And I just think that's how players separate. Like the players who consistently, even just a little bit, like they're just on their rebounder in their backyard, but it's just consistent. Instead of one hour, once a week, it's 20 minutes a day for a week. Like I just think consistency is the key. And so I think for players to just do, and it's hard when you're, you know, when you're in college, you've already made the decision that this is something that you're choosing to prioritize your time with. And you've, told everyone that you're making you've made the decision to try and be really good at this and in high school for 22s for example like some of them haven't necessarily made that decision yet that this is what I want to be really good at um but if you are telling people that that's what you want to be really good at then you have to display that through your actions and and the biggest thing is not just doing you know one you know one time where you do a hard workout or one time where you are in your backyard that week, like just consistency of, of habits. Um, so easier said than done, but I think that that's from the great players that I know, you know, across the country and, you know, Team USA and all these different, you know, like the, the special players are the ones that they just, you know, like they don't go a day without touching their stick. They just do it, you know, and I think you just got to form those habits. Totally agree. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better, but I mean, like, yeah, you don't just hop out for a run after you listen to a motivational podcast. It should be, yeah. you've already done and then it. tell someone you're a runner, you know, and it's not saying don't do that, but you just right, have right. to, that's not going to make, that's not going to separate you, mm -hmm. you I mean, know. You're, you're natural. You should want to do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. And you can see it. You like with girls on my team and in the recruiting process, you can see girls who have good stick skills, you know, standard procedure. And I'm one of those, but like, and then you can see the ones who just have, it's just special. Like they, they, they can do comp things unheard of that, you know, with their stick because they just have put in way more time. Um, and it's not for everyone. Um, but I think those are the special players who, you know, especially in the stick skills category, like it's just a daily commitment. For sure. Got to get yeah. after it. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's tough love. Like I, I feel for everyone during this time, but a lot of people are asking, you know, how am I going to get recruited? Well, I, I don't know when I'm going to see you play, but when I do, like, be ready. I said that to my girls. I go, just worry about getting so good right now that when the time comes that you are going to crush it. Yeah. Like, you know, that you get out there and it doesn't matter we were in quarantine for months because you put in the work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? There's a lot of people that are like wilting under quarantine right now. So you know what? You can, you can be able to beat those people. Exactly. It's, you know, it's not for the weak hearted for sure. Um, and I, I hate to say that and sound insensitive because I, a lot of people are in different circumstances, but, um, you know, in general, you gotta, you gotta be, uh, you gotta get tough and, and have some discipline. So. Well, you know what? It's not, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of easy to be good and just do really well. You know what I mean? There's a lot of kids that are just like, oh, they're really good. And it's fun yeah. to be really good and have everyone know you're really good. And then to get recruited is fun and all that. And then you get to college 
And it's, it's still fun, but you better really love it because it's actually a massive grind and it's yeah. going to dominate you, your, your world. And um, so, I mean, in some ways, quarantine is giving you a little bit of a taste of, of the grind that college across is. And I'm not trying to discourage people. I love college across. I mean, I would do it again. I never wanted to miss practice or anything. I loved every bit of it, but not everybody does. And yeah. uh, there's a difference between just being good and having fun, being good and have everybody tell you how good you are and then actually have to like, just grind it out. Mm-hmm. For sure. I love it. Sweet. Thank you. I got to run. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Colleen. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Bye guys. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com.